Welcome to The Clarity Call, a podcast which provides encouragement and guidance for parents overwhelmed with the responsibilities of raising a child with special needs or has a medically complex diagnosis. Gain an enlightening perspective that helps dispel feelings of fear, uncertainty, or exhaustion as you venture into a life of peace, joy, and clarity. You're now on The Clarity Call with Alicia and Kimberly. Hey everybody, how's it going today? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Alicia. Welcome to the Clarity Call podcast. We're so glad to be here with you today. And we are super excited about our guest today. So before we jump in uh, with her, we will go ahead and just remind you in case you're new here that we, between us, have 16 children, six of whom have a medically complex diagnosis or are considered special needs. We are both in our second and final marriages because we know everything's a choice. And we are doing this because we are passionate about helping special needs parents um, in finding the tools that they need to get through life every day. We know that it's important to have clarity of mind to live your best life. And be successful. Absolutely. So um, we are going to start with a very real and raw reality check this morning. (laughs) Um, I have been up since uh, pretty much on and off since 3 a.m. this morning with my six-year-old severely developmentally delayed daughter. She's also um, autistic and nonverbal, epileptic. And um, so she has a lot of medical complexities, but she woke up kind of whining about 3 a.m. And then about 6.30 this morning, she started throwing up. So I was like, okay, um, what am I going to do? Because I have a meeting with one of my absolute most amazing mentors today on our podcast, which is super important to me. And I'm very excited about it. And I had the ability to reflect on myself for just a minute because several years ago, or maybe even just two years ago, before I really got clear on who I am and what matters to me in my life, I wouldn't have even given canceling another thought. She would have come first, being with her, 100% focused on her and getting her better and completely sacrificing whatever meant anything to me would have been what I would have done. And so I showed up for myself today. I asked my husband if he could take his lunch break and hang out with Jocelyn so that I could come and do this super important to me interview today. And so here I am showing up for myself, super excited, knowing that my daughter's going to be just fine and just beyond excited to have this conversation today. So, and any of you, any of you that know, like that is really big. I mean, that's coming a long ways. That's not just something we just talk and we say the words, but it really means a lot of work, hard work Mm -hmm. to be able to do those kinds of things. And as we just talked about for a moment before this is there's a balance. There is a balance when sometimes those things come first, but when you're used to always putting those things first, it is really hard to step Mm -hmm. back and check in for yourself and say, whoa, let me make sure I'm doing the right thing today. Yeah. So anyways, that's our reality check. So we will move into our content for our podcast today and introduce Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. She is married and a mother of three living in Chicago. She is also a relationship and sexuality educator and coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois with a PhD in counseling psychology from Boston College. 
She has a particular passion for helping women. She minored in women's studies as an undergraduate and feminist relational models of therapy in graduate school. In the course of her doctoral study, she focused her training on marriage and family relationships with 16 years of clinical experience. She helps women who struggle with low self-esteem and feelings of worthlessness, poor body image and complicated relationship with food, perfectionism and women's common overfunctioning in relationships, self-development in intimate relationships, in particular dissatisfactions related to shifting roles, expectations between men and women. She also has ma- many amazing, fantastic online courses. She is a great instructor. She does a lot of podcasts and um, also some private counseling and coaching. So welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. We're so grateful you're here today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So um, just to kind of tell you why um, Jennifer Finlayson Fife, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife is one of my greatest mentors. Um, I started following her after hearing her on a podcast that a friend shared with me. She teaches one of the many concepts she teaches rather is of belonging to yourself which is something I had never really heard or considered for myself. And it was the exact thing that I was trying to better understand as I was trying to figure out who I was and what was meaningful to me on my climb back from losing my identity and being a mother to special needs children. So Jennifer, you talked about how developing a sense of self is vital, not only for personal growth and development, but for healthy relationships. So when I stopped caring for myself and put all of my energy into caring for children, thinking that that was the most selfless and necessary thing, I lost my sense of self, which was actually never very developed and didn't have a strong foundation in the first place. And I started making choices that were very detrimental, not only to myself, but to my relationships, specifically to my family, of course. So if you could kind of speak to that, as I know our our audience uh, struggles with that a lot. Yeah, well, and I think... There's so much to say. It's interesting. I find myself feeling a little emotional as you're speaking because I think it's it's bringing me back to some of those earlier years when right. it was so challenging. I mean, I think that um, first of all, motherhood is a very demanding reality. Just when everything's going as well as you might hope, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it pressures the selflessness. And on some level, necessarily so. Right. So that is when you have a baby that's fully dependent on you, it's a adaptive and good response to put your desires aside while you care for this highly dependent, highly needy being. And I think women are kind of wired to do this, to be quite conscientious and responsive because it keeps babies alive. So Mm -hmm. it's both our strength but of course it can clearly become our liability if it's an overworked muscle. And I think that there's a lot of cultural influences that make this idea that selfless, putting everything about you aside is the key to being a good mother or Mm -hmm. being a good woman. So there's that. And then I think when you have a special needs child, that muscle is so overworked because the needs are above and beyond the normal level of demand, not by anyone's fault, but just what it is. And so, especially if you have that cultural impact, plus the special needs child, it can really feel that you have no self. There's no place to thrive. There's no place for belonging to yourself. 
And even if you have never heard that idea, meaning some people don't think that that's something selfish and bad in them, but they even want it when that's so much linked to having joy and even having energy for your family, right. for your special needs child. And so it's a very, um, it's, and, and then I would say it's very challenging and it's even challenging a little bit for me to even know how to speak about it in a way that's fair to people because sometimes people don't have much choice. That is, they don't have a partner or a partner who's collaborative and willing to help. They don't have resources to get an extra set of hands to be able to have a break. They have more than one special needs child. They may have multiple, which it sounds like the two of you mm-hmm. know a lot about. And so it's a, I have no simple answers, <laughs> but right. to say that it is, is challenging and even understanding and valuing that belonging to your life outside of a caretaking role is important for being able to have some joy and some peace, even in the caretaking, having joy and peace. So where would you say um, you begin with that? Because when you find yourself in that place, as we both have, and you have, like you said, I mean, with multiple children or whatever the, the circumstance, where do you begin? You said, you know, there's no simple answer, but if we're, if we have listeners there that are where we were on a professional mm-hmm. level, where would you say, Hey, this is where you start? Because I just been uh, speaking with one yeah. of my children last night saying that, like, if you're not good for yourself, you can't help your children. You can't, if you're yeah. not mentally okay. So Really, what is the answer to beginning that road for them to get help, get safety, get security? I think that there are two things maybe that feel important, but I, I, and I can reference my own experience. But again, I say it humbly because I, I think in many ways I was fortunate in a way that others are not. But, you know, the first thing for me was I am in over my head. Like, I, this isn't sustainable. I can't do it. <laughs> and I, that wasn't coming from a poor me victim mentality, which I'll talk about in a minute. That was coming from a, this is more than I can do. Like mm-hmm. I can't give my child what he needs. I can't give myself what I need. And I'm barely hanging on to my mental health. And I just knew I was beyond what I could do in any sane way. And so you know, for me, it meant how do I, how with a limited budget and a limited reality, can I figure out some way to get some extra support? And so, you know, it's kind of a funny conversation for me when I think back, but remember my husband was traveling all the time. So I would have like the whole week where I had a newborn baby and a child with autism who was, you know, figuratively and literally banging his head against the wall. And I just, felt like I couldn't give him what he needed and I could, I couldn't get a shower. I couldn't get to the grocery store because he would melt down the whole time. And I'd have two screaming kids and people looking at me. And I was like, I like, I'm going to die. I can't do it. So, um, so I remember talking to my husband about it and saying like, I either need antidepressants or I need help. Meaning I, like, there's no, there's nothing's right. got to give. Yeah. And he was like, well, antidepressants are cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> true. It's so true. Sometimes they're necessary for sure. We're not just yeah. oh, absolutely. That. Oh, not even slightly. Right. But you know, we basically with some family help, were able to get some extra help while my husband was traveling in particular. And, and it was not easy. And it, you know, it was hiring a student that would come and do some therapy, you know, with my son 
you know, they were undergrads, didn't have to pay them as much. It's just some things like that, that I just set up some pockets of time that I could not have that be my intense focus. Mm -hmm. And those were a gift in the context of this sort of sense of it always, always being on me. Um, You know, and we figured out some other things as we went along that allowed for, you know, him to get support services that he needed, going and advocating for more of those, both for his sake, but also for the sake of the family system to not have that always be weighing on me and or even, you know, his siblings. So, um, so there's that there. And again, there, not every, I, I would sometimes hear people's stories. They had like three children with autism and the husband had left and I would cry listening to the stories because I would just think, how can that person do it? I don't even know how she can do it. Right. So I, it's hard when you, the resources are not there. Um, but, um, I think the second thing for me was that I had to deal with my relationship to the problem, to the challenge. And that was a process. And, and again, one that I do not want to sound like simple minded about because some have more to grieve than others. And it's also a real challenge because I remember, you know, you know, Graham getting diagnosed and, I, first of all, had real feelings of loss because he had seemed developmentally normal as far as I could tell. And then he seemed to take a big step backwards and go lose language and start to regress. And and so I was terrified and grieving. Um, and then I had feelings of rejection towards him that I couldn't tolerate in myself because he sort of was emblematic of a cost in my life. I mean, I'm not proud of those feelings per se, but they were certainly normal right, <laughs> uh, right. or at least where I was yes. uh-huh. that this child is going to be challenging that I may give it everything and still not have much effect or impact on him. Um, that I, I envied the mothers who were more concerned about the things I used to be concerned with, like, which preschool, the cute clothes. I mean, I don't mean to minimize it, but I liked having those kinds of concerns and they were fun. And I felt like they, I couldn't have, those were like no longer the issue. It was, it was, do I even, is there even a way to help him? Because there really wasn't much that was being offered, at least at that point, in terms of therapies or services that could really be valuable. So I, I think I had that grief, that loss, and a sense of, I think this feeling of kind of vacillating between um, victimhood and over-functioning, a little bit of going between those two worlds a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I won't be a victim, but maybe then I'll be everything and I'll do everything and I should do everything right and solve this. Which I think it took me a couple of years to grow out of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and be like, I, I'm not going to solve this. <laughs> but but to not also then retreat from him either. I think that it took me several years to kind of find the way to love him and accept him and parent him and accept my limitations and his at the same time. You know, I can talk about more if it's helpful, but that, that was definitely a process. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. And, and like everything that you're saying resonates, you know, with me so much and even having other moms that have been on the podcast, it just, there is that common theme of how do you not become a victim and fall into depression, but 
okay, I'm not going to be that person, but then I'm going to make sure that I'm the best at everything. And then there's Mm -hmm. burnout and then there's loss of identity, you know? And so Mm -hmm. that's something that I found Mm -hmm. I fell into and I want to Mm -hmm. see kind of if we, if you had any counsel for these moms that, like you said, have Mm -hmm. three of these special needs kids and are going a hundred miles an hour. And, you know, Mm -hmm. for me, I feel like when I finally Mm -hmm. found my value and worth, I, that was when I, my brain finally went to work at being like, how are you going to show up for yourself? How are you Mm -hmm. going to get the resources that you need? We talk so much on our podcast about having a village doesn't have to be family, but you do have to get creative Mm -hmm. sometimes about finding those people that can be your village and give you those necessary breaks so that you have the self care and ability to grow and thrive and progress instead of like me following, falling into that place where I lived so much on autopilot that I ended up even completely subconsciously sabotaging myself and my family with choices I was making. You know, it's just, I heard you say that you can do that if you're not honoring the need for a human to grow and develop. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many things in what you're saying, but, but one, yes, getting creative and resourceful. Um, you know, we worked it out with our congregation that my son would have his own um, teacher for mm-hmm. it because kids would have class that he couldn't handle being in that group. So they arranged for him to have his own teacher. And all she would do was literally chase him around mm-hmm. for the two hours. Right. <laughs> that was, that was my was calling like my, for a long time. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it was my favorite time of the week. Like I just loved being at church because it was a chance to belong to myself, have adult conversations, talk about interesting topics, just talk about nothing. I didn't care. So it was just like finding where there are these places that I could carve out some breaks for myself. So that's a piece of it. But I think, I think there's maybe a couple things um, in what you're saying, maybe more sort of think as I'm talking, but one thing that really, really helped me, Um, And I didn't come to this right away. It took me a a little bit of time, but I had to keep asserting my choices within the experience of a crisis. So in a way, I felt like my choices were taken from me. Yes. You know, I had a special needs child going home for Christmas no longer was making sense. He couldn't handle it. He'd get too overwhelmed. So I could move into like, oh my gosh, like I can't do all the things that everybody else gets to do. And people are nice to me, but they don't understand how different my reality is. Right. And so it would be easy to move into that grief. And I don't dismiss it. It's real. (laughs) Right. It's real. And giving yourself some room to have it and to have compassion for your grief, I think is really important. And, you know, sometimes I cry at IEP meetings and stuff, and I just wouldn't be too hard on myself about that. I'm like... I'm the one here dealing with this. nobody else. <laughs> I mean, like they were there to help me, but right. I was like, it's okay if I'm crying. There's not, I don't, it's, it's okay. It's not easy. So I think it was making room for the grief without moving into an indulgent place and pushing myself to assert my choices. Like as hard as this is, I, I would also say to myself, other people have it harder. And that wasn't to dismiss my pain. It was to remember that I also have a lot of good things. And that helped for me to just say, I'm in a hard spot. There's nothing wrong with the fact that I feel sad about it. But it's funny. I'm like refeeling all the feelings. It is. It's emotional. Uh, but it, but, yeah, it is. Um, but that, um, 
I just know people carry more. And so I can be grateful for the gifts that I have in this struggle that I'm not entitled to. Meaning it helped me to sort of, because sometimes people would say, well, maybe God wanted you to have this struggle. And that just didn't ever resonate with me. I just like, first of all, it just doesn't make sense that God would impair my child so I could learn something. Right. You know, it, it just, no, it's just a function of, of an imperfect world that we all live in. And, and this is what I have to deal with. And the measure is about who I'm going to be in this. That's what I have to take up with myself. How am I going to respond to this reality, which is going to include grief and it's going to include loss, but it also is about an opportunity for me to define who I'm going to be in a difficult reality. And that's where the self-definitional part comes in because this belonging to yourself is, is in part about having breaks. It's about developing other parts of yourself. But what it also is, is living up to your own expectations of yourself in a hard situation. Yeah. Well, and that's what we spoke and, with Brad Wilcox about last week when we talked about finding your mission in life and yeah, allowing those things to help us define our purpose and our mission rather than having self-pity and being a victim. And it really takes that yeah. mind flip mm-hmm. to have that moment. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That you're an agent you're the driver, you're an actor, and you don't get to choose what road you're on or the, you know, the obstacles on that course. But you do get to decide who am I going to be. And, you know, I think initially, I moved into I'm going to be the best parent. Mm. (laughs) Like, I'm going to do all the therapies, and I'm going to research, and I'm going to figure things out. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a good response. Because like, if I can do something to impact this, I will. But I think what it sort of demonstrated quickly was there was only so much I could do and there was no one-to-one, you know, I could be giving my very best and still have a child who was melting down 90% of the day. And, um, and so I, it took me some time, but it was like letting go, well, tolerating my limited control while stay, still staying in control of that control. <laughs> Yeah, meaning still utilizing the control I had to be a mother and a person I could respect uh, without the fantasy that I was somehow going to be the solution. All right. Just accepting it for what it is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. There has to be room for that. And, and I love that you speak to accepting the human experience as it is, that we're all yes. so flawed and that when we can yeah. accept the flaws of being human, yeah. we have such an easier time at finding that compassion that allows us to show right. up for ourselves and those around us in love, which kind of right. brings me to my next thing that I would love to hear you speak to is that um, the uh, doing the uncomfortable work on oneself rather than taking frustration out on children or others which is a concept that Mm. I heard you speak to in the podcast Mm. that you've done on the teachings of Dr. David Snarch. Snarch, Mm. am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah, specifically the portion on how to better manage anxiety within your relationship Mm. and family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think that for me, you know, what I see a lot of parents do, and I certainly can do, is when you're feeling pressured by the demands, all the ways that they want you to respond to them, your kids do, or a special needs child who has legitimate but overwhelming needs. It can be very easy to handle that 
from, I am a victim of you guys. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the antidote to that is always about asserting my choices, not letting myself get away with you guys did it to me, but that I have chosen a role and I continue to have choices in it. So I just remind myself of my control and my responsibility in a difficult situation. So sometimes, especially in the beginning, I would go through, I don't have to be here. I could take a job and turn this over to a nanny or a caregiver. And, you know, I would just go through it like I could. I could do that. You know, lots of people make those kinds of choices. And would come back to, I don't want to turn this over to someone else. That helped me a lot. That is really what I want. As hard as it is, and for sure it was the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, you know, I work a lot of hours now. It's a breeze compared to that intense right. period. And so it's, you know, and it, but it did really help to keep coming back to a self-defining choice. I want to be here. The next question for me is, okay, how do I want to be here? In what way do I want to do this that I can feel good about? Where do I need to push myself more? Where do I need to give myself more latitude? I mean, one of the places I would sort of beat myself up was I felt like I should be the kind of parent who wants to do play therapy all day long. <laughs> I really, I really was so ridiculous. We with all think about that at first, don't we? <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, if I was like a really good mother, I would be doing this 11 hours a day and mm -hmm. he'd be fine. And it was like, no, I can barely get an hour in and, and not feel bored, silly. And, and so it just finally was like, okay, I'm not coming to peace with, I'm not that parent. I'm not that person. What are the things I do do well? And is there people that we can, this is when we hired students to come in and do a lot more who were studying special education, who were good at it, who were wired and, you know, and it was so much better because Graham would get all this extra energy and engagement and capacity. So it was a, a way of letting myself have limitations too, not just him, let me have limitations and think about how do I do this in a sustainable way that, you know, that I'm being true enough to me and also being, giving, helping him get what he needs. But it's not an easy, it's not an easy balance. Because it's easy to think, oh, if I were just something, everything else would be fine. It's an easy place to go, but it really will undermine us. And then I think for me, it took some time because the kid, at first it was just too intense and there was too much that there really wasn't a lot of room for what are my dreams and goals. And there was no money either. Um, but at that time, I would say to myself, in time, there will be more time for those things. Right now, this is what I choose, as hard as it is but it will eventually, there'll be more space. That helped. And when there was more space, it was for me taking up that and not just staying in that kind of ever-present parent, but saying there is more room now for me to, because Graham was now in a good uh, therapeutic day school. There was, the, my younger kids were getting a little bit older and there started to be more space. And I could tell I was starting to feel not great. And I think what it was is I wasn't going and now using some of that to engage other gifts and other capacities and start developing those more. Yeah. And, and then just out of curiosity, did you find that, 
you talk about like maybe waiting, knowing that things are going to change and be different. Did you find that that was hard for you to stay happy and present in the moment or that being able to grab onto that thought helped you be more happy and present in that moment? Because I think that's a choice we for, have to for, actively yeah, decide. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, for me, that I think that helped me to be more present in the moment. Okay. I don't know if I would say I was always happy because it was pretty intense sometimes. Of course, I mean, but right? I, I, it, I wasn't in a resentful, I, I, I think it's fair to say that I wasn't in a someday I'll be happy. Right. It was more that those things that matter to me, they matter, but they're, they're just not for right now. Mm-hmm. There's no room for them. Yes. And so it just kind of allowed me to know they will have their place right now. I'm investing just like in school mm-hmm. right now. I'm investing. I'm not going to have any extra money for because I'm in school. But, and it's a time where you're going to create something and then it'll be better. And I think I thought of that intensive period that way. Right. Yeah, and I just want something. our audience to know that that's a choice that can be made. You know, you can choose to say, I don't have to wait for things to be different or for me to feel, for me to be happy and feel better. I can know that things are going to change and choose to be present in my world, even when that means you have to process the negative emotion, you know, the good with the bad, all of that. You know, I just found that I got to the point where I just was like always trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel and Mm -hmm. not really like finding the joy in the journey because I was waiting for things to change or waiting for things to get better, be different. That's a very good, very good distinction. I hadn't thought about it quite in the way you're saying it, but yes, I think you know, I see this with my clients a lot, and this is a concept of uh, Dr. Schnarch's, which is that people don't have a choice about whether or not they're anxious or uncomfortable. If you're alive and breathing, you're going to be inter- having discomfort. Right. But the question is whether or not that is productive discomfort or unproductive discomfort. Mm, yes. And when we are sort of like, I'm suffering, I have no choices, I have to be here, and we're kind of in a victim suffering we're looking for a light at the end of the tunnel, more like as a way of not dealing with the present and not stepping towards more productive anxiety. When you give purpose to your struggle, struggle, when it's about creating something or living up to something in yourself, it still may be hard, but it's hard in a much different way and in a way that doesn't create more entrapment. Mm -hmm. So this idea, like I think if you're raising teenagers, it's a helpful thing to say, this is hard right now. Yes. I'm doing hard things for them to become, to kind of get through this developmental process, to become functional adults. So I'm setting limits or holding expectations, tolerating a lot of invalidation, knowing that this is creating what I ultimately want to create is a child who's capable of handling, holding their own weight in the world. But it's hard right now. So, but it's meaningful it's yes. like a productive anxiety and it's in in the same way of investing in creating something or at least living up to your own expectations of yourself whether or not it goes the way that you hope right and it's mm-hmm. so hard to be patient with that because I'm dealing you know yeah, yeah we deal with special needs but I'm dealing with teenagers and even though I've raised several teenagers already and I see that when you're yeah. in it for the first time it's really a challenge to be patient with yourself and with them as oh, yeah. you move through that, because you really don't feel yep. when people, the older people would say, oh, you'll miss these diaper stages. You'll miss this some yeah. point in life. Like, and you're no. like, I'm never getting out of this. I'm going to change diapers the rest <laughs> yeah. of my life. But so when true. you're older and you still have the younger kids, you're like, oh, 
I am going to get out of it. But you know, there's a space and time where we almost just have to feel that mm-hmm. so that we can yeah. have compassion for other people because it's a stage of life. We're all going to feel it, you know? Yeah. And then you Absolutely. learn that patience with yourself and saying, okay, you're right. I'm not going to have this five-year-old forever. I'm not going to do enemas forever. I'm not going to do, I probably you, will change diapers probably, forever, but <laughs> I've oh, accepted yeah. it. So I'm okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that's right. And, and, you know, so much of learning how to parent, learning, you know, I, as a, as a therapist and, and coach, I hear a lot of people's regrets. Like, I wish so much I could go back in time. I wish so much I had known as a younger person what my child would need. And it's really easy to be hard on ourselves around what we didn't know, what our limitations were, the, the kind of meanings that were shaping our choices. And just kind of be cruel in a sense to ourselves, like I somehow should have known, rather than so much of life is you learn on the job, you learn as you're doing it, you take the gifts you were fortunate enough to get from your family of origin or your own, you know, natural tendencies. But then the rest is about learning on the job. And, you know, we'd all do much better if we could all just go back another 25 years and have another go at it. Yeah, but it's true, you know. But it, none of us has that choice. And so it's having compassion and mercy towards yourself as well. So this concludes the first half of our interview with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Please join us next week as we continue on learning so much from her. And as always, we're going to end our episode with our mantra, which is, The happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. And And a would you rather. Would you rather. All right. Would you rather live in a world without straws? (laughs) Oh, I can't. I already tell you right now. I don't know what the other part is, but we can't. Or paper towels. Oh, dear. (laughs) Because you know how I am with both of those. There you go. Oh, no. A world without straws or a world without paper towels. I know there's areas of Texas that have already banned the use of straws. Really? Yeah. They're like only letting you use the paper degradable straws. So So bringing it back to our special needs, my little guy drinks his, we call it monkey milkshake because they used to have little monkeys on these Danimal yogurts that I mix his pectin in every morning. Mm-hmm. And he drinks it through a straw, which helps him and not touch his lips. And it's easier for him to ingest. Mm-hmm. And that's been a perfect fix for us. Um, but I use paper towels like a roll every couple of days because Same. I hate germs. <laughs> I know this is, this one is probably oh. one of the hardest ones I've ever had to consider. Yeah. And I mean, it's probably gonna have to be straws because all of us use paper towels, but only Brock. Well, and I know how you feel about dirty towels too. Oh, yeah. I have to change those towels every day. And that means more laundry. Oh, gosh. I'm picking paper towels because I could, I think, live without straws. But Could Jocelyn live without straws? We're not talking about Jocelyn. We're talking about you and I. (laughs) Oh, okay. You're right. In our world, if it was just me, it's 100% straws. If I had to... You have to keep straws or you're going to keep paper towels? No, I'm keeping paper towels. I can get rid of straws. But for our kids, we would choose straws. I would have to. Isn't that funny? I have to choose a straw. I mean, I don't say have to, but right. gosh, it sure makes life so much easier. The things to consider and the <laughs> things that, I mean, it takes me a minute to think about the things I take for granted too. So grateful for our life and our comforts, right? It's all about perspective. All right. Have friends. a great week, everyone. Thank you.
You've been listening to The Clarity Call with Alicia and Kimberly. Find additional episodes of the program on any popular podcast app or search Apple iTunes. You may also subscribe to The Clarity Call to catch every episode. If you've enjoyed the content of this podcast, we invite you to share it and please leave a rating and review of our program. If you'd like to connect with Alicia and Kimberly on social media, you can find them on Instagram as The Clarity Call or on Facebook under Clarity Call. They can also be reached by email at theclaritycall at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and supporting our program.